Good morning, starlings, and welcome to episode six of A Spell for Wellness. My name is Chelsea, and as usual, I will be your host. I am so excited about today's episode because it is the first episode of A Spell for Wellness where we have an interview. Her name is Kay. And in today's episode, we are going to be discussing bipolar disorder, how it affects your spiritual beliefs, how it can affect your everyday life in terms of interacting with your loved ones, people around you, and people you've never met before, and how having a disorder comes with a stigma and a label that we want to try and dispel as a collective community of people with active mental disorders. So a little bit about Kay. Uh, She considers herself the above average mass hole who loves her dog. Uh, She has been a practicing eclectic gray witch for about 18 years, and she is a biological psychology major at UMass Amherst, studying a broad spectrum of factors which influence our biological and neurological development, and subsequently our behavior. She is also type 2 bipolar with rapid cycling. She describes it as having an epic party, but in her head. When not studying or being delightfully bipolar, she collects antique and vintage ladies' mechanical pendant watches, dead shit, and nifty socks. I also want to add that the audio for the interview is not the quality that I would have liked. Uh, We were having some some technical issues and I think probably um, some internet connection issues, but I do really urge you to tune in and listen uh, to the extent of the interview. We discuss a lot of stigma and a lot of important facts about having a mental disorder that are vastly overlooked by the neurotypical population. So if you can if you can manage to sit through a little bit of static and a little bit of choppy recording, I am working on, finding a recording program that will eliminate um, any sort of feedback or echo that comes through. So with that, (laughs) on to the interview. So first of all, thank you so much for offering to do this. Um, I know that when I was first getting started with the podcast, I had wanted to do interviews and the first five episodes were a lot of people just listening to me talk to myself. (laughs) So um, I'm really grateful that you decided to do this for me and with me and for the podcast. Um, We can go ahead and and dive right in. Why don't you go ahead and um, give us all a rundown. What is bipolar disorder? So that's a loaded question. So, bipolar disorder is a mood regulation disorder, um, which is characterized by extreme highs and extreme lows, and uh, uh, what's called congruent moods or mixed episodes. I mean, that's how it's in the DSM, but it's really not that simple. Okay, Um, and and so my, my basic understanding is that there are several different kinds of bipolar disorder. Um, can you talk about those a little bit? Absolutely. So, um, so there's three different types of bipolar disorder, but there's several types of polar disorders. Um, of bipolar disorder, there's type one, type two, which is where I'm at, and then there's um, unspecified or otherwise specified. And what that third one means is that when somebody is diagnosed with a disorder, they are diagnosed based on if your symptoms, if a disorder matches your symptoms more than any other disorder, but sometimes you don't meet enough of the criteria to fit in type one or type two, so you would be unspecified or otherwise specified. Okay. And so what is the the difference primarily between type one and type two bipolar disorder? Type one is... um, Type one 
we see a lot more hypermanic. I have, so hyper meaning um, really, really high. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. it was hypo is, um, it's not as serious. You see in type one, um, more instances of hallucinations, delusions, psychosis. Okay. Um, type two is a lot more high functioning and it's not nearly as chronic. Um, it doesn't hit as hard as type one does. Okay. Um, so how, how old were you when you were diagnosed and how did you end up being diagnosed with bipolar? Um, well, it was 2008. So I had just turned 21. Yeah, okay. no, 22, just turned 22. It was before <laughs> Obama got elected. Um, I had uh, admitted myself into a crisis unit after a, uh, after a suicide attempt. Um, and that's when they diagnosed me. I had been actually sick uh, since I was around 10 years old when I first started displaying symptoms, but I was, wasn't diagnosed until around 21. Did you ever suspect that you might have bipolar disorder? No, no. Um, I, I didn't know what I had. I didn't at that point didn't understand enough about uh, um, neurological divergences. <laughs> um, I knew there something wasn't right. I knew that I had been misdiagnosed because when I was a kid, the medications I was on, my symptoms were worse. And then when I turned eighteen, a lot of those symptoms went away. So, so beside effects of medication. And what had you been diagnosed with as a child? Oh God, ADHD, um, ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, uh, mm -hmm. depression, PTSD, anxiety, everything but. Yeah, so you, you name it, they tried to put a label on it. So for you specifically, and for, for bipolar disorder in general, um, what is typically, how is it managed? And, and what is, what is the, the course of treatment for it? Um, the course of treatment is antipsychotics, which, funny enough, are also um, anti-epileptics. Apparently, uh, oh. medications for seizures make great antipsychotics. Um, so that's what I'm on. Um, okay. But not all two, uh, not all two are alike. Some work better for bipolar depression. Some work better for bipolar mania. I am on one of each. Okay. Um, uh, steps so a series of coping skills so when you recognize that you're having an episode you do your steps um therapy talk therapy and of course seeing my med provider so those are um the most effective ways to treat bipolar disorder and so you said you said your steps um can you sort of summarize what that means um they are healthy skills that uh, you use to manage your symptoms. So um, steps is taking um, mood inventory, which we have to do several times a day, especially for someone like me who rapidly cycles. Okay. And then once you figure out if you're having a mood swing, then of course you act accordingly. So it could be um, at that point, recognizing what your limits are, what you can accomplish in a day without burning yourself out. Um, avoiding situations, um, avoiding risky behavior, and instead focus whatever it is you're feeling into something productive or healthy um, steps. Okay. Um, be, like for me, a big one is spending some time with my dog. It usually helps me even out. Right. And so that's why. And so for those of you who don't know Kay, um, Kay's dog's name is Mog, and he's delightful. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I could totally understand how just sort of having that support there, as especially from something that will love you unconditionally no matter what, is sort of just this recentering and grounding experience for you. And so sort of piggybacking off of that, uh, you identify as a gray witch and uh, have been a practicing, do you use the term pagan for, for your title? How... I guess, how would you classify your uh, your spirituality? 
Um, I have no preference. I mostly use those words to make explaining it easier. Right. But I have preference. Like, I don't. <laughs> so do you think that, like, when, when you are having, um, say you're having a low, um, do you find that turning to your spiritual beliefs or to your craft help better manage that? Um, not particularly because when I'm having a low, I have no interest in anything. Okay. So there's even more of a disconnect than there usually is. Is there anything about your, your craft or your spirituality that has ever pulled you out of a low or that has sort of assisted in making it easier for you to get through it? Um, there is, um, when things get really bad, um, you know, I I will often try to turn to maybe my patron, um, for some sort of guidance to help me pull it out of it. But, um, there is not, there isn't much of a, um, a will to want to. Right. So would you say then that having bipolar disorder definitely affects your ability in terms of um, sometimes being able to keep up with it or to, um, I guess, sort of keep it a regular part of your life? Uh, Yes, definitely. Um, I have found that uh, the the, my level of dedication to it changes depending on my mood. Okay. I and, can, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> and the hard part about it is when I feel more of a connection, when I feel really, really good and I, and I have that connection is I'm never quite sure if I feel that way because I really feel that way or if I feel that way because I'm crazy. Right. And unfortunately, we do live in a world where our our spiritual beliefs and our our practices are very much held under the red light. Um, You know, you tell people that you're a witch in today's day and age and they do. They look at you like you're fucking crazy. And you you can't help but wonder, is that stigma true? You know, is there something wrong with me because I do believe these things? Um, And I think those of us who are diagnosed with any mental illness or not uh, sort of need to try and be better advocates for the fact that saying you're a witch or, or saying that you're a pagan carries the same weight and questionable behavior as Christianity. It's just not as popular. You know, it's funny because I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day. So when you have a mental illness, everything you say and do, like everything, your whole existence is always taken into question, right? Everything. Right. And nothing and nothing you say or do will ever be credible, will ever come from a real place. But if you are neurotypical and yet you you deviate from norm in any way, then you must have a mental illness. So no matter what you do, you're either different because you're crazy or because you're different, you are crazy. Right. It's six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. So if that means that we're a little bit crazy, I'll take it because I'd rather be crazy and, and believe in something that makes me feel like I belong then follow the status quo for the sake of people not questioning me. I feel like part of our, our intention and our, our practices very much derives from this sense of not belonging. And even if it was created out of that, I feel like with any other religion that provides its validity Right. And what helps is to, is to ask myself, 
would I be having these issues? Would I be asking me this myself this question these questions if I was an atheist or if I was a Christian? Would I you know, would I worry if what I believe in comes from comes from being uh, neurologically divergent if I was something else. And then that's what helps remind me that, uh, that there's nothing wrong with believing in what I believe in. And even if it's somehow related to my crazy, it makes me happy and I'm not hurting anyone. Right, exactly. And and ultimately, I think that that should be the, the focal point for any belief system, any religion, um, any spiritual practice is, are you hurting yourself or others? And does it make you happy? And honestly, all of the other factors or questions don't matter at that point, you know? Um, so sort of a, a rough transition into the next, um, the next line of questioning. Um, you are currently in school. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you are going to school for? Um, I am in school for um, biological psychology, um, which is a um, lesser known school of thought and psychology, where unlike the other schools, which are what we call soft sciences, meaning that they can't really be objectively measured or quantified, um, biological psychology looks at the hard science. Um, and I, I chose that because unlike the other schools of thought, which had their own buckets, Biological psychology looks at all the buckets, um, your development, genetics, evolution, environment, et cetera, et cetera, and how those all factor in to your biological and neurological development and subsequently your behavior. Wow. Yes. That, sorry. That's that amazing. Was, <laughs> that was, whew. So for one thing, uh, kudos, because that I, I feel like my brain zoned out halfway through that and I'm medicated currently. So um, how, how do you feel your scientific mind conflicts with your spiritual one? Oh my God. So <laughs> sciences in general are not conducive to having a belief system. Right. Uh, because they they look down on on they look down on religion and superstition uh, it's kind of elitist attitude my right. argument has always been no matter where you are every generation looks at the previous one and just, you know it looks down in judgment at some point a hundred years from now scientists are going to be looking at us like we're dumbasses I think um and I and I say that because I'm kind of disgusted by this elitist attitude scientists have. Right. <laughs> so I mean, it I do, and it's just like just because you understand the universe, just just because you you can observe things and objectively measure them, quantify them, which which are are, are great skills to have. Well. I don't know how to word it. Um, I, I think I, I think I get where you're going. So just because you can quantify and you can justify everything scientifically doesn't mean that everything is scientifically justified. Right. Um, I think all of it comes from science. Remember, um, I was telling you about um, the mercury dimes. Yes. Um, how... <clears throat> Silver, so pre-1964 mercury dimes were made with 90% silver. Um, and so in certain cultures, they're usually worn, particularly around the ankle, um, not only to protect you, but to detect sulfur. And mm -hmm. what is awesome about that is that cultures were able to figure out that silver is not very reactive. With, it's only reacted with hydrogen and sulfur, and they each have their own reaction. So, um, and the reason they did that was to help alert them if they had been <clears throat> in contact with um, hot foot powders, which are usually made with sulfur. So while they came to supernatural conclusions about this phenomenon, they were making scientific observations. 
Right. They, they noticed this long before we did. And so I think to dismiss uh, a person's belief system and their way of life is closing off doors to experiencing the universe in new ways or to think about what we know from different lenses. Right. It's, it's limiting your, your frame of expansion um, by writing it off. Right. Mm. So um, you sort of already answered my second question then in, in terms of how, how do you rationalize or even do you try and rationalize your beliefs in comparison with your, your scientific studies? Um, I, I do um, <clears throat> by trying to I've been trying to learn how to look at them both from the same lens. I think mm -hmm. that's where we get hung, hung up on is, is seeing them as two different lenses. <clears throat> so I try to imagine them as both being the same lens. Um, it's still a struggle. Um, okay. Sure. You have people telling you from different directions, you know, you can't be a scientist and have a religion or a spiritual belief. Um, because like you said, there's sort of this elitist mentality that, that says only science or, you know, only religion, there's no in-between. And I feel like us in-betweeners struggle with that a lot because we are doing both and we're doing just fine. We are, we are known for thinking in black and white. I don't think we're capable of, like, we're not really wired to think. It's like um, a conversation I got with somebody not too long ago. This idea that you can't be a stay-at-home wife and mother and be a feminist. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, people think you can't be one thing and not the other. Right. Um, what if you can be both, you know? Right, and... I mean, in that regard, you absolutely can. <laughs> I mean, it, it it just, it basically comes down to being like, did you make that decision? Okay, then you can be both. Right. Um, I don't know what it is. Like, I, People are different is what it is. I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm flying off the rails in this conversation. Um, no, it's it's like we make certain choices and therefore other people have to make the same choices. Right. They have to see the world that we do. Um, I don't know. Everyone like, wants to be right. Huh? Everyone wants to be right. I, I Yeah, I know. And sometimes it's really lonely, too, in school. Um, it's almost kind of like a solipsistic depression. And do you think that you having bipolar disorder affects that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you talk um, about that a little bit? You're talking about bipolar in school? Yeah. Um, it does. Um, people don't believe me when I tell them. That you have bipolar disorder? Huh? That you have bipolar disorder? Oh yeah, people do not believe me at all. It, it is a, um, it, I have noticed in school that, that you cannot be neurologically divergent and be good in school. Hmm. I have noticed that. Um, but then if you It's this idea of that if you're crazy, you're not capable. I get that. People and it's frustrating. Right. It's, it's, it's so frustrating because anyone listening to this conversation right now, I think would agree on a couple of points. One, we're both fairly intelligent individuals who can maintain an intelligent conversation, stay remotely on track, and 
discuss topics that aren't, for lack of a better term, basic conversation starters. And, you know, creating this podcast in general, us sitting together and discussing the, the, the process to get it started and then having this conversation is not something that someone who wasn't capable could do. But because you have a diagnosis that puts you into a, a certain corner or, or a, a certain square, if you will, there's automatically thoughts and feelings associated with you before people even get to know you or hear what you have to say. Right. And, and that's exhausting and, and limiting. And I'm sure, especially for you, sometimes there's this feeling of, well, I get to go do this again today. And it's just sort of this repetitive cycle of trying to prove yourself when you could, and quite honestly, probably are, be the most intelligent person in the room. Being out of the closet comes with its own frustrations. It's liberating. It really, really is. Um, I didn't realize what I had gotten my really gotten what myself into until a few years ago. I had been invited to present at the Northeast Regionals Honors Conference in Cambridge, and I was presenting on it was um it was it was comparing and contrasting um the standard old like dated way of looking at mental illness and the patient-centered approach okay and i remember at the end in the q a somebody had asked each of us why we picked our topic and why we're going to school for it and so in front of 300 people I go, I, 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 um, I had pointed because my last slide was um, two of my spirit animals um, who have schizophrenia. And I said, because I am these women, I don't have schizophrenia, but, you know, I am them. And then I see my honors advisor. She was sitting in the front row and I swear to God, I think her eyeballs popped out and rolled across the floor. Prior to that moment, I could have conversations with anybody about anything. I got into like a four hour long debate about GMOs with one woman. And then afterwards we went out for a beer. Mm -hmm. But it was beautiful. It's how it should go, right? Right. But then everything changed after that for the rest of the weekend. I couldn't have those conversations with people. They, you could look at them and look at their face and in their eyes, you saw every horror story that ever heard on the news, like flash in front of them. You know what I mean? You could see it on their face. They treated me different. Right. But what I don't understand is, is I was the same per I'm the same person now that I was before you knew. But just now you know this other thing. But I'm, like nothing's changed, right? Right. And I, I was a mess after that for a month. Because to me, it's neither here nor there. I still do well in school. Like I, I was doing really well in school, getting straight A's, was advocating, and I was working. And doing things that statistically people like me don't do. And yet the fact that I have something, that I, that I have something, you know, for me, I mean, it's kind of arbitrary, somehow makes me a lesser human being. And it's right. just like, what do I have to do to prove that I am a capable scientist and that I'm not a danger to anybody else around me? Right. You know what I mean? And it's like the second you you announce that you have bipolar disorder, or in my case, you know that I have ADHD. There, you, it's like revealing the Superman symbol, except a Superman symbol has been replaced with a target. And suddenly, people are people are afraid, and people don't know how how to talk to you, and they 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 walk on eggshells around you, and they act like you are whatever your diagnosis is. And 
instead of just like you said, it's just another part of you. It's just one thing you didn't know that now you know. It's, you know, for you, it carries a much heavier weight than um, telling someone what you had for breakfast. But for them, that's all it should be, is like, now you just know what I had for breakfast. Exactly. And that, that breakfast is something that makes you a target. <laughs> people can't they're so afraid they're so afraid of what they don't know and that's what it comes down to is people fear change people fear the unknown and and this is this is where hate crimes come from and and uh, a lack of of research or time and effort to understand okay so she, so she has bipolar disorder well maybe I'll look into that a little bit and and realize oh well as long as she's in therapy and and taking the correct medication she operates and functions like a normal human being oh i don't i don't have to pretend or act like things are any different because they're not they're really really not and, um yeah, I know. So, <laughs> so I got derailed a little bit. Um, but on the topic of that, um, I'm sure you have have in, run into situations where um, people have doubted your abilities and, and what you believe because of your diagnosis. So um, say someone listening is bipolar and and doesn't know how to sort of move past these obstacles. What what would your advice be to someone in your position on how to handle it? Um, so just to, just to make sure I understand your question, sure. how to, um, um, God, um, you're saying um, being able to move past having a mental illness with all those issues? No, 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 no. Um, how how do you handle people treating you differently in, in, a, in a healthy way? How do you personally work through that um, without letting it affect you in, in a significant emotional way? I'd be lying if I said I knew how to do that. Okay. Um. I get messed up over it every single time because it's frustrating. Um, and I think, so I don't, Oh no, go ahead. I, I don't have any, I couldn't, I don't have any advice for them. So I think, I think maybe that statement is even more profound um, than had you had something to say, if only because there needs to be, accountability taken on the behalf of people who put us into those positions. You know, the the neurotypical brains that think just because they don't have a disorder um, that people with disorders are incapable. And I think there needs to be more attention drawn to that, that this, on top of the fact that we struggle with whatever our disorder might be, we also now have to struggle with trying to function normally in a world that doesn't want to let us try. Yes. So um, I'm actually really glad that you didn't have anything to say to that because I think awareness needs to be raised about the fact that you know we are normal people we just have a disorder that makes our brains work a little bit differently and people don't have to be such dicks about it <laughs> they really don't they just do and it's their right I mean, yeah we have yeah, the no. right to dick. um just I think people forget just because we have the right to do something doesn't mean we don't have to take accountability for being a dick. But right, exactly, exactly. So, um, but you did hit the nail. You did mention something when you're talking about having a disorder. So, 
where people get caught up is is that our disorders are very much a part of our identity. I mean, it doesn't make the whole us, but I mean, it affects every part of our life. So, right. That goes back to the um, trying to figure out, you know, where who we are comes from. Is it coming from? Is it coming from our disorder? Or is it coming from? But but sometimes I wonder if we're just making a mountain out of a molehill. Like so, what? So, what does it matter where it comes from? You know what I mean? But there's the reason I bring that up is because there's so much. We're supposed to feel ashamed for having a disorder. There is so much shame associated with it. Absolutely, and it kind of it really does get in the way of learning to accept it. Like um, when I first got diagnosed, uh, one thing I noticed that treatment providers try to do is to condition you to think of it as having a disorder rather than being like identifying as that disorder now i can understand i appreciate why they do that it's because we do have a tendency to use our disorders as an excuse i didn't mean to rob the bank just your uh your honor i have bipolar you know what i mean like (laughs) it was a really good idea at the time (laughs) I didn't mean to murder my neighbor. I'm a, I'm bipolar. You know what I mean? So so I can I can understand why they do that. But there's nothing wrong with accepting something that is very much a part of our identity and, and influences every aspect of our life and accepting it as this is just a part of who I am, embracing it and making your own. But then everywhere you turn, there's something, someone whatever that tries to make you feel ashamed for wanting to do that for needing to do that so you can cope and accept with this as a part of your life and then try to move on and be a better version of yourself and right and I think I think a huge part of the entire diagnostic and treatment process um, is that there is not enough emphasis on highlighting the good things that come with it because with a lot of disorders and most of my my research and experiences with ADHD because I I was diagnosed and because my my son is on his way to being diagnosed um and one of the first things that I've found in my research is it is so crucial for someone with ADHD to begin focusing on their strengths and in that regard, you absolutely can refer to your disorder as part of your identity because it could potentially be the reason you are great at any number of things. And there is such a negative connotation. I mean, you, you look at the word disorder. It's a, it's a negative word. It is out of order, you know, yep. but it, it is just, it's, it's a, wiring difference it's just it's a different way to be wired it's not necessarily wired incorrectly it's just wired a different way but the the terminology is so negative that that's the only association that people have with it so i i yeah i know what you mean (laughs) So um, we are running a little low on time. Um, I had asked you if you would write some questions for me in a reverse interview. Did you did you have any luck with that? And it's okay if you didn't. Can I say um, it again? I did. Okay. All right then. So the first question I have is: Well, first I want to say congratulations on your diagnosis. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And welcome to my world of the out proud neurologically divergent. <laughs> um, I feel like this is my initiation. It is. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so we've got cookies and jackets now. Um, so my first question is, is, now that you have this diagnosis, what do you, how do you, what do you predict or how do you predict um, 
that having a name for it and having a diagnosis will affect your life. Um, and and will affect your life um, and change the way you perceive and practice your spirituality? It's a big question. It is, but it's a great one. Um, so let me just start off by saying um, at the beginning of April, I was diagnosed with ADHD after thinking that I, I had had either anxiety disorder or ADHD for some time, for several years. And as is typical for people with ADHD, I kept putting off getting diagnosed. I would forget to call or something else would come up or I didn't feel it was that important of an issue at the time. I quit smoking and my symptoms started to get worse. And I later came to discover that nicotine being a stimulant was, I was basically self-medicating. Um, I took away my, my, I'm doing air quotes, medication. Um, and so my symptoms increased. So, so after receiving my diagnosis and, and after getting on medication, so far everything in my life has, has changed for the better, including my relationship with my spirituality. One of the things that I realized a lot of the time, very similarly to you, was I would have these feelings of, of intense devotion and, and interest and then wouldn't touch a thing for months and I'd think about it and I I would think about all of the steps that were going to be involved with me doing a tarot card reading or setting up an altar and one thing that is very difficult for an ADHD brain is preparing yourself for prolonged mental effort and I was so overwhelmed at the idea of having to plan this out that I would just abandon it altogether. Now that I have been medicated and I'm able to sort of rearrange my, my priorities when it comes to my spirituality, I'm enjoying it more. I, I created a pentacle herb garden which is something I've wanted to do since I moved into this house over two years ago, coming up on three years. And once I was on, and I'm on Adderall, I'm on uh, 10 milligrams twice a day of Adderall. When I'm medicated, I can see the steps ahead of me. I can plan the steps and then I can follow through with them. And it's just a wiring issue. It's it, my brain literally couldn't get me there before. And, you know, part of, part of it is, is learning and is doing the research and taking responsibility for not using my diagnosis as an excuse not to do things like, Oh, I, I can't do this. I have ADHD. No, it's, it's more difficult because I have ADHD, but what, about my diagnosis will help improve this experience. And so I've noticed my penmanship has gotten better. So I think a lot of that comes with the patience to, to actually write now. So writing my book of shadows is something that I, I hadn't done in years. And the other night I, I wrote in it just because I wanted to experience that again. And it has increased a desire to be spiritual. It has increased a desire to follow through on a lot of projects that prior to, to being medicated, I didn't think I could do. And so having a name for, um, for my brain and, and for my, my disorder uh, has brought nothing but uh, positive changes into my everyday life and my spiritual one. That's so great. <laughs> Thank you. It, um, yeah, it, it is. And um, I, 
I think also it has prepared me for the fact that uh, my son has ADHD and he and I struggle a lot because we both have it. And so we've been working with a psychologist to, to help me relearn, or I guess learn in general, how to have my brain work with his cooperatively. Um, because we just, I mean, the poor thing is four years old and he already fights with me all the time. And it's just because we're so similar. We, we can't, we're both trying to step on the same step at the same time all the time. And we trip over each other. So um, we're in the process of, of getting him into therapy and, and helping him with, with his disorder. And I'm doing all of the research I can to, to be a better ADHD mom for my ADHD son. So I'm, um, we're on the right, we're on the right track. And I'm, I'm really grateful for science in that regard for allowing me to, um, to be the best version of myself through better living through science. She answered my third question. <laughs> oh, okay. Which is awesome. It was on, uh, how do you think uh, your diagnosis um, will help you to manage mental health within your family and social life? You know, because a lot of people don't have the advantage you have of already being familiar with it, you know, so they tend to just write it off. You know what I mean? Or diminish it or treat people differently. But you have uh, you have the advantage of, of living in, in our world. You know what I mean? So you're a lot more empathetic, a lot more understanding and, and compassion. You know what I mean? Well, fortunately, I think... Um... I think a lot of us, and when I say us, I mean people with with disorders. Um, we tend to we tend to pool together. So most of my friends have some sort of disorder, um, and so it's been something that I have been exposed to for most of my life. Making a lot of close friends was difficult when I was younger because of my undiagnosed ADHD and my inability to create deep, meaningful connections. But the people I was able to connect with, I feel like we sort of have a radar for each other and we just know that like there's something special about you. And then we we cling to each other. And so having this knowledge and and I can't stress enough being medicated. Um, I used to read all the time when I was younger. And as an adult, I, I lost interest because it was hard. It was difficult to stay focused, even if I liked the subject matter. Now I can, I can read chapter after chapter after chapter. So my, my goal is uh, to become as educated as possible. And ultimately I want to go back to school. And I want to to find a career in the mental health field, uh, whether it be as a therapist or, um, you know, uh, as as far as my I've considered going for my doctorate, which would be so much school. But for the first time in my life, I'm finally I finally feel like I can push myself to do the things that I know I'm good at. And one thing that I have been told my entire life, but I never listened was people like to talk to me. People like to open up to me and they, they feel like they can trust me. And if that is something that I am really good at, then I can make a huge difference in, in the world of mental health. And I feel like that is the, the satisfaction with my life that has been missing um, and I think that's my next step because I'm already in a, a loving marriage and I have two beautiful children and now it's time to focus on my career. And, you know, I'm 31 years old and I'm just starting to realize, oh, this is kind of important to my mental health and I should probably do something about that. So, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that in my pursuit of, of knowledge and study that I can, 
help better manage and um, maintain a, a healthy a healthy living situation for my entire family. That was really well said. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so next question. Do you squeeze your toothpaste from the middle or the end? From the end. It's If you squeeze it from the middle, you have a whole lump down at the bottom. And that just doesn't make any sense. And my toddler just squeezes it from the middle. But you got you to gotta roll it up. You got to roll it up and pinch it. And, I mean, why would you waste half a bottle of toothpaste? <laughs> no, because what you do is you squeeze it from the middle, right? No, you don't. And if you have any left at the end, you can just use your fingers and just push. But why avoid that, that extra step? Or, like, why why have that? Because if you start from the bottom, you, you just work your way up and then you're done. Instead of, like, when you want to brush your teeth and, like, you're tired and you're falling half asleep and you go to squeeze it, but there's no toothpaste at the top. But it's all down at the bottom. Could have avoided that if you just started at the bottom to begin with. <laughs> I think that was the best question of the interview so far. I think that was my favorite one. Really? <laughs> um, my next one was going to be OJ, guilty, not guilty, or good with toast. It's good with toast. Okay. <laughs> all right. I think um, I think that is all the time that we have for today. Um, God, you tell I'm in therapy. It's all the time we have for today. Um, <laughs> but I want to thank you again so much for um, being my first interviewee on A Spell for Wellness. Uh, and if there are any um, any last words you'd like to say before we end the podcast, uh, please feel free. Any last words? Um, pickles. Pickles. There you pickles. have it. Pickles. pickles. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kay, so much for being here today. And thank you to all of my listeners who tune in every week and listen to me ramble and talk and try and keep my shit together. Um, I want to stress again that if you need an ear, if you need someone to talk to, I want to be here for you. Having a mental disorder has taught me that I am capable of so much more than I ever imagined, and I want to make my life's work helping people. Today's episode showed me that it is our job to dismantle the stigma around mental disorders and help create a world that is accepting and compassionate and diverse. So thank you again for being here. Next week, we will be diving deeper into the world of ADHD. So I hope that you will join me for next week's episode. Thank you again. You are all wonderful. I couldn't do this without you. Happy Wellness Wednesday. Be well. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.